the Carson Price for Thursday, February 29th. Happy Leap Year 2024. We're coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center downtown Vancouver. If you're heading to a game or an event downtown, make it a staycation. Call the wall 604 331 1000. Ask for the Sakarison price rate. Some blackout dates may apply. Matt Sakaris alongside Jeff Patterson continues to sit in for Blake Price this week. Grady Sass hitting switches, conducting things alongside Madison Buckingham. And we'll miss you after today, Maddie. Big show coming up, all brought to you by Applewood Auto Group, where right now at Applewood Kia Langley, the 2024 Kia Nero EV and the EV6 get a complimentary EV charger, a complimentary set of winter tires. Quite appropriate here, given the mm-hmm. weather. Did you see Pemberton Whistler? Did, in the co- yeah. Oh, my gosh, the yeah. sea of sky yesterday. Oh, it's all good at Applewood. Poll question today, asking you, should the Canucks have outbid Dallas for Chris Tanev? Yes or no, you can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. And JPAT, we're going to circle back on the Tanev trade yesterday, Thursday, uh, Wednesday, in a moment. But first, the big news in our top story brought to you by Mr. Lube, Elias Pettersson negotiating with the Vancouver Canucks. And according to our Frank Saravelli, who's on the show today, all the noise here in this market brought Patterson back to the table, despite saying throughout the year after the season, wants to wait till after the season. It had gotten to the point where it's a distraction. And Frank says that Patterson is talking with the Canucks on an eight year extension. So are we to blame or do we get credit? I think credit. Okay. And honestly, Jeff, here's the thing. <laughs> and I see it in some of uh in, in fact, there's a comment on our poll question. The Canucks front office was too busy dealing with the media noise on Pedersen to execute the Chris Tanev trade. Oh, okay. Wow. But look, oftentimes media works as a, as a convenient scapegoat. And more often than not, in fact, a large majority of the time, whatever is being said or discussed about the team, its players, individuals really has no bearing on the managerial course of the organization. This one, I'm not so sure. Uh, we know Pedersen is aware of the conversation. Fans had really started grumbling about Pedersen. Some had already turned on Elias. The note from Elliot Freeman on the weekend that teams were calling about him at this stage with the Vancouver Canucks. The comments of Rick Tockett yesterday that he felt perhaps that Elias, being only human, to quote the coach, has been affected by all the noise and the lack of resolution on the contract. And hey, maybe even the JT Miller chance at Rogers Arena on Tuesday, where the fans started showing their affection in the most vociferous way I think we've seen with JT Miller and his strong play since the All-Star break. So this is one, Jeff, where I do wonder whether the noise, quote unquote, and the discussion being had by fans and media alike may well have had an impact. On a managerial course, or at least on a player's decision. I think the only one there that maybe I push back a little bit is the talk it thing only because that came after practice yesterday. So mid afternoon, uh, Frank's report was essentially out by then. Now I thought talk had some really interesting comments. I thought 
he certainly wasn't wrong. And they may have well had a personal discussion about that. They stepped well, aside. They were alone together, chit-chatting. What was it before the Sunday practice? Yeah, Jeff? I had that photograph. But so there was a long discussion out on the ice. Now, I don't think they were talking. Eh, maybe talking was asking about what was going on. Whatever. I can absolutely don't... see Rick no. going up to him and saying, hey, Elise, is all this getting too much for you? Uh, I'd be surprised if the com- that conversation took place on the ice. But I think Tockett's door is open. He's always talking about having all of these meetings and lines of communication. So I, I don't doubt for a second that that question would have been put to the player. Whatever the case, like people have to understand this was unconventional. Oh. The, the Canucks had so been irregular. knocking on this yes. door for the better part of the season. A year, Jeff. Going back, I mean, here's all the money. It's on <laughs> the table. Just come and sign. And I think at some point, respect or a lack of isn't necessarily the term but it just it felt like almost this wasn't being done in good faith and again i know that Pedersen had indicated that you know his preference was to do it after the season something changed here obviously and if it was the noise and the distraction and it was filtering down to his performance and in the locker room and look like you can't discount all of that this team's not playing particularly well they did against boston but Elias himself hasn't played all that well since the all-star break, whatever it took to bridge the gap. It certainly sounds like some serious and significant progress has been made here. And that's our top story brought to you by Mr. Lou, 100% Canadian started by a father and son team in Edmonton, the pioneer of the no appointment oil change warranty approved oil changes at that. And now providing tire service and sales, no appointment needed there either 16 locations here in the lower mainland for one year near you go to Mr. Lube. And I also got to say on this file, Jeff, I was real and did a welcome mat earlier in the week to the effect. I thought that these leaks coming out of the Canucks on teams calling about him risked further alienating the player. I, I thought that was a very risky strategy. The Canucks had already indicated to their fans, to the market that, hey, we're here. We want to negotiate. This isn't on us. But I thought the uh, the events of this weekend and talking about teams calling on him and things like that may have pushed him a little too far. It looks like it succeeded in getting him back to the bargaining table or getting to the bargaining table, if you want to take that tact. And for that, I think you got to hand it to Rutherford and Alvin and the Canucks uh, and their strategic play here. Elias Pettis, the hockey player, his focus is on ice, but he knows he knows his significance to this club and to this market and to his teammates, quite frankly. And so he can say, I don't want to deal with this till after the season. But the course of business, business goes on. Life goes on around you in the National Hockey League. I wonder if other agents were ringing up his representatives and saying, like, we need to talk to the Canucks here about our guys. Like, you know, your player may not want to put this on the front burner, but guys, and look. J.P. Barry and Pat Brisson are at the top of the food chain. They get yeah. it. They know that this isn't just one player in isolation. So I do wonder if there were some outside forces there that some other agents were just saying, like, get no on question, with it. No question. I mean, you're sitting there as Alan Walsh with Philip Peronic having a monster year, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Elias Lindholm, if there is already consideration on Elias Lindholm. Sure. And, and then we talked to Joshua and Exactly, Jeff. We want to know where they slot into all this. Right. Got to be some left for them, too. And, of course, the business of the Vancouver Canucks could have gone on, but 
without the knowledge, without the certainty of what Petter, where Pedersen's going to be, how many years, how much money, and then, of course, the political sensibilities of extending a player like Lindholm prior to taking care of Elias Pedersen. So it, it it is a key domino, and it is not yet done, so it is still to drop. But I would have to think that Rutherford and Alvin and Aquilini and the Canucks front office rested a little easier last night, knowing that Elias is engaged. And frankly, and as you'll hear later in the program, it's really the first indication that Elias wants to be right. back and wants to stay in Vancouver. And that can't be discounted. And I think a lot of fans breathed. A sigh of relief on this file yesterday as well, Jeff. And we're all waiting for the final total dollar figure and the annual average value. I'm really curious, though, if they are that close. Like, are the documents being prepared? Is he going to – it's a game day today. I would think that you would respect the player and not force the issue on a game day. Could he take five seconds and put his autograph on a piece of paper today? Sure. But I do – I'm curious. Like, they're out of town as of Saturday – and I think if you're the Canucks and you've locked up this key piece for eight years in the richest contract by far in club history, you'd want to make a big splash. So I wonder how quickly this can happen because this. You're feels... thinking press conference tomorrow? I'm wondering. On Friday. That's what I, I yeah. wonder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from a mechanics point of view, stands to reason. I think they skate Saturday and fly to Anaheim, but then they're out on the road all of next week up until trade deadline so mm -hmm. friday feels like a free day if all of this can come together mm -hmm. uh, we'll see uh, if they uh, have something to say and talk its comments wednesday after practice um saying that Pedersen had been okay and sporadic uh he also allowed that they have rested him in practices hoping that he would be freshest for games but also added that he believes guys need to practice hard to play well in games and talked about how Patterson had improved there. That was before going on to talk about the noise and how it might be having an effect on the player. You go to practices. Have you seen this spell this out a little bit in terms of what you've seen with Patterson at practice and the Canucks uh, letting him take it a little easier there? Yeah, that caught me off guard because I have seen a lot of practices. First of all, they haven't practiced much, Matt. Like, I, I noted on Sunday, that was their first practice in more than a, a full week. So at this stage of the season, the 60 game mark, they're lucky if they're getting one practice a week. Yeah. I've seen some of that with Thatcher Demko where he'll go out and work with Ian Clark and then leave and they'll bring the practice goalie out for the remainder of the session. But I haven't seen anything like that with Elias Pettersson where, you know, it's either late arriving or early exiting or taking drills. I've seen none of that. So uh, I'm not sure kind of the parameters that Rick talking and look talk, it would have a better sense, obviously uh, if, if they're allowing Leas Pedersen to, you know, skip some rotations in some of the drills and things like that. But to me, uh, and it would be noteworthy if he wasn't out there, mm -hmm. uh, he's been a regular attendee. He's been involved. So I haven't seen what Rick Tockett was referencing, but uh, maybe the coach has a slightly better, well, he should have a slightly better feel for, you know, the way he puts his players yeah. through their paces. On to Chris Tanev, the former Vancouver Canuck, who is finally traded from the Calgary Flames to the Dallas Stars on Wednesday. The deal includes a prospect, a second-round pick, a conditional third-round pick, and that's only if Dallas advances to the Stanley Cup final, 
as well as a fourth round pick to the New Jersey Devils for being a broker here and assuming 50% of Chris Tanev's salary, then moving him on to Dallas. So the Stars get Tanev with a 75% haircut, paying just 25% of his salary for the remainder of the season. Basically free. Well, uh, 1.125 million is what Dallas is paying him prorated over the course of this quarter. Yeah, so there's 20 games to go. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what is that? Not a huge cash outlet. Not even $400,000. The prospect is a former second round, one-time second round pick, Artem Grushnikov. Grush. A very defensive defenseman who's playing a straight in the Ontario Hockey League, a Russian over here in the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, and then the second round pick and the fourth round pick were asking on the poll, should the Canucks have outbid the stars for TANF's services? Now, look, we don't know if the Canucks would have wanted or have needed the salary retention all the way to including a broker. So on the basis of Grushnikov, a second round pick and a conditional third, and if you want to throw in the fourth Jeff and do the salary retention part, you tell me, should the Canucks have outbid Dallas for Tanev? I'm going to say no, and we've talked a little bit of this through the week. Again, a ton of respect for Chris Tanev uh, and all that he's done, and certainly all that I enjoyed my dealings with him here. And maybe fans, it's just a loyalty thing, but like, for how long were people banging the drum, bring Troy Stetcher back, bring Luke Shen back, bring Chris okay, Tanev back? Okay, but this player's a, a cut above those two guys. Yeah, but I think there's still some of that beyond the fact they're all right. Oh, we, we love our, our former Canucks in this market. Uh, anytime Time a former Canuck a is out there, yeah. we'll get to Tyler Toffoli here in a second. Yeah. Um, but uh, the mechanics of the deal, like I'm trying to think, and I saw somebody say maybe the defenseman, Elias Pettersson. Like I'm trying to think, like they traded Brustavich. Calgary's already got Hunter Brustavich. The Canucks don't have a ton of defensive prospects. We know that. We've lived through that for years, right? So I was trying to make that deal with what the Canucks have in their stable. And maybe DPD is the guy. Uh, beyond that, though, like they've already traded a third and a fifth to Calgary for Zadorov, a help. first Kuzmenko, mm-hmm. Brustavich, Yermo, and a conditional yeah. fourth. Jackson, listener Jackson says Jacob Truscott, who's at the University of Michigan and needs to be. Canucks already signed. said they're not going to sign him or indicated that they're not going to. I don't think that's the play. Okay. I don't think. Uh, Here's the thing about Grushnikov. There is clearly somebody in the Calgary front office that likes him. Yep. Because I'm not even sure this is a B-level prospect. He was a third-round pick, I believe. I thought he was second, but um, he went after Logan Stankoven, so maybe a second second-round pick that year. Or yes, I believe he was a late second. Okay. But let me just double check it here. Um, he has five points in 44 yeah, AHL games. He had 17 points in 65 OHL games. They say he's a mean piece of business. So yeah, he's the, the 40th. He's the 48th overall pick in the 2021 entry. I do remember reading about him going into that draft, and yes, he he was viewed. He's a 6'2", 180 pound left shot defenseman who is known for a mean streak and being a, a defender. But the Canucks have like prospects there. You know, you mentioned uh, Elias Pettersson, the defenseman. The Canucks maybe even have higher level prospects that they could have offered to Dallas for me. I'm voting yes on the poll question, because particularly if you want to talk about the retention of salary, a like prospect to Grushnikov 
a second and a fourth with the condition of a third, but you'd happily pay the third if you advance the Stanley Cup final. I'm voting yes, because I think that would have significantly improved the Vancouver Canucks defense, particularly on the right side, giving them seven, if not eight, very dependable defensemen for the playoff run, as we know you're going to lose defensemen to attrition and injury in the playoff run, but also because based on what you would have been taking on salary-wise, you still would have had the cap space to go at other players in advance of the trade deadline. I I, I found myself waffling with you on Tanev. I absolutely wasn't going to move the first-round pick. Yeah, I thought a second and a prospect was a fair price on Tanev. I want to read this tweet from our buddy J.D. Burke at Elite Prospects. Granted, it takes two sides to complete a trade, and perhaps the Flames had had their share of trading in division, yada, yada, but... I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around the Canucks not finding a way to outbid the Flames on this one. Feels like a miss. And listener Mark adds, because they have Noah Juleson with Quinn Hughes, was that a canary in the mineshaft? Did they think that maybe they had a chance at adding Tanev here and pairing him with Quinn Hughes? We know the captain had gone to management and said, boy, I really love this guy. A lot of us in the room love this guy. It'd be great if we could, if we could get him back in town. I think you have to operate on the assumption that a general manager is going to make the best deal possible for his team. But I saw that Kevin Weeks reported that the price for Dallas for Toronto to acquire Christiana was going to be higher than the Dallas stars. And that's very fair. It may well have been a higher ticket for Vancouver or a higher bar for Vancouver to clear, to get Tanev given that it was in division. Uh, I guess for the we'll, Canucks, we'll probably never maybe know. a bit of a win that Edmonton, because certainly Edmonton was linked there. Now, right. at some point down the road, if the Canucks have playoff success, they're going to encounter a bunch of good teams, and a lot of them might be the Dallas Stars. So, uh, you know, we'll see how that all plays out ultimately, but uh, we'll see. I mean, again, I, I'm voting no to the poll question. Okay. I just didn't feel that Chris Tanev at this point, I, I thought, it, you know, I, I don't know if we should be reading into the way they skated at practice yesterday with any sort of regard to a Chris Tanev deal, but I do find it fascinating that Carson Soucy showed up and skated with the group for the first time. It was an optional this morning, but you know, five and a half weeks. So that's kind of in the timeline. Not going to play tonight, but this is the first time. Like this is a significant development that he is with the group for the first time. That means a guy is close. So do you think that means Juleson comes out and one of the lefties goes and plays the right side or the fact that Juleson has practiced with Hughes, is that giving you other indications on the blue line? Yeah. I, again, I, I think Noah Juleson has been a terrific story. I think he has staked a claim for a spot in the lineup, even when they are completely healthy. They got to figure out though, if they go with Hughes and Heronic. now again, they weren't at practice yesterday, but at some point we're going to see Hughes and Heronic together. The Canucks have to figure out, like, who is their third best defenseman? Because if I ask you straight up, who's the Canucks' third best defenseman, and you tell me 35-year-old Ian Cole, I'm not sure I'm liking that. But the well, other and that's one of the reasons the I thought Tanev. Tyler yeah. Myers is their third best defenseman. Nikita Zadorov, not based on his usage and his, his ice time. And so they're going to welcome Carson Soucy back with open arms without a doubt. But is Carson Soucy their third best defenseman? And should he be their third best defenseman? So I, I don't know if the change in practice partners was based on something they saw against Pittsburgh the other night. The fact that the team has one win in six games. Is this opponent driven? The LA Kings four check like beasts. Although down wingers. Yeah. We know how thin they are on the wing. 
but stylistically, they don't score much. Nope. They defend as well as anybody in the NHL, but they love to get in your face. And so I wondered if this was trying to move two puck movers to different pairs here because they are going to see the Kings four times in their next 16 games and quite mm-hmm. possibly more beyond that when the playoffs you, roll around. You asked the question, who's their third best defenseman by point share on hockey reference? It's Tyler Myers. But that's another reason why I thought Tanif made sense here. Um, and look, he may well be just a number four or number five at this stage of his career in NHL terms. If you don't have a purely anointed best number three defenseman, then the best part, then the best way to overcome that is just flood the position with guys who are fours and fives and let the cream rise. And as you say, potential to play the matchup game, tailor your defense pairs to the opponent, tailor your defense pairs to adjustments within a Stanley Cup playoff series. So, yeah, we'll see what they have planned between now and the deadline. they got a week from tomorrow, J-Pat, to get that. Uh, to do their deadline moves. And you do wonder after the Patterson movement here with the expectation that you're going to see him signed and signed long-term between now and next Friday, does that unlock? Does that allow them to do some things that they otherwise would not have been able to do or weren't willing to do without a signed Elias Patterson? Rick Tockett was talking penalties. First of all, Thatcher Demko, before we get to that, uh, you were surprised Demko started Tuesday. Yeah. Are you at all surprised? No, uh, divisional game. Again, this run of games against the LA Kings. I think you want to send a, a little bit of a, a message and, and you're at home. Uh, they need wins. I get that. Uh, I, I was a little surprised. I went back and looked. This is the first time all season that it's five straight starts for Thatcher Demko. So they've done a pretty good job of limiting you know any sort of long, long run. But beyond five straight starts, it's 9 of 10, 11 of 13 since the All-Star break for Thatcher Demko. So they got to get some Casey DeSmith starts in here, maybe Sunday in Anaheim, mm-hmm. but it is Thatcher Demko against the Kings. Penalties. Talkett mm-hmm. was talking penalties at practice on Wednesday. said there was a drill where it was just the stick on the puck. He said he may have to start taking ice time away from players who were taking too many penalties talking about how that's that's how you make players accountable. Hopefully they understand, even change their technique. You can't have a loose stick. You can't have your stick flapping in the air. That was the main message from talking. Then he got on to a, and as you noted yesterday, they lead the league in penalties coming out yep. of the all-star game. Uh, and in fact, Uh, What is it? 51 minors taken since the all-star break Calgary, the next up at 43 that was heading into play last night and 45 times shorthanded Tampa Bay, the next up at 30 at 39. Now that was the crux of Rick Tockett's message. And I think we can all agree with that. Although I'm not sure you're limiting JT Miller's playing time, the way he's going right now, if he happens to take an extra penalty or two coaches oftentimes can live with a penalty born of extra effort as opposed to laziness and what talk it was getting at yesterday with some of the stick fouls, but then talk it went on <laughs> quotes. I do hate in the league that people snap their heads back and they get penalties. I feel bad for the refs because I could see a guy who snaps his head and they call it. We've had three where the guy didn't really high stick him, and the guy snapped his head. Jack Johnson against Colorado. Yep. 
It was that the Miller high glove yeah, behind yes. the net. That wasn't really. Talk it goes on. The refs have done a great job. I've actually told a couple of refs. If you find a guy snapping his head, I wouldn't even give the guy a penalty for the rest of the year. That's how you curb that crap. Yeah. I mean, the Winnipeg game as well. Remember, that's when it kind of all started. Uh, Myers said mm-hmm. what he said after the game about playing two teams, and there were some calls there that they didn't like. Sam Lafferty got uh, hosed in Chicago with a goaltender interference call. Besser the, the other night. There have been some calls that have gone against him. So I, I went back just the 12 games since the All-Star break. Uh, Tyler Myers, not the worst defender. Nikita Zadorov and JT Miller lead the Canucks six minor penalties apiece. Myers, Ian Cole, and Nils Hoaglander that late uh, coal next. penalty, the tripping penalty yeah, at Colorado, that was well. brutal. Yeah. Absolutely. And that was after Cole had a conversation with the officials. So that got my antenna up as well. Yep. Uh, Hoaglander with five. Don't love that. Uh, that's an area you want him to play on the edge and on that line, but uh, he spends a little bit too much time in the penalty box. Uh, as for the types of penalties the Canucks have taken since the All-Star break, went back uh, penalty by penalty, 11 tripping calls, nine high-sticking infractions. So those are the two uh leaders in there are seven roughing calls and some of those have been coincidental minors so they haven't always left them short-handed Canucks have been called for hooking five times slashing three times and a pair of holding the stick penalties including our steep baines the other night so you know yeah i mean talking is correct like the bulk of the canuck penalties and it probably goes league-wide but the bulk of the canuck penalties since the all-star break have been the high sticking and tripping and some you know that's just being responsible for your stick and just be a little more cautious, I suppose, than sticking your stick in there and leaving it in the hands of the officials. Because it seems right now, uh, just about everything is going against the Vancouver Canucks and, and their penalty killing hasn't been great. Penalty killing's the bottom third since the All-Star break. And Matt, for all that they spent in the offseason and targeted penalty killers, their penalty killing is 19th overall in the National Hockey League. No, it's better still, than last year, obviously, yeah. but... Baby he, steps, but look, still not Carson there. Carson has been hurt, sure. That's one guy. Dakota Joshua has been out for a little while, but otherwise, Jeff, they've been fully healthy, all of their best players at their disposal, and way more, And way more penalty killing utility in the forward group than we saw last year, yep. or the previous year, yep. where really, Pedersen and Miller were killing penalties by default, right? Totally. So, it's not just the additions on defense. It's you have legions more options up front including elias leno the new guy for penalty killing up front so no you're quite right jeff the that unit has to get better particularly if the power like the vancouver canucks i don't think are good enough to get out special teamed in the playoffs and win series that puts an inordinate burden on thatcher demko to be magnificent and on the top six in particular, although if the third line gets back together, maybe it's the top nine to be incredible at even strength. If they're going to win playoff series while getting out special teams. Yeah. And look, I mean, at some point down the road, they could absolutely run into the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, it's quite possible that they run into the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs. Oilers don't have the power play they did last year. That was in the mid thirties, but it's in the high twenties. And again, if you, kill penalties in your 20th in the national hockey league like playoffs is all about matchups you know we can talk about the canucks power play the la kings have the best penalty killing like if the canucks run into the kings in the playoffs that's one of those matchups that yeah the canucks have talent on their power play but if your opponent neutralizes 
your power play with one of their specialties, then you're going to have to find other ways to beat them. So special teams matter. Absolutely. Jeff, special teams matter. Edmonton, Colorado, Dallas, all in the league top 10 in terms of net power play yep. percentage and um, net penalty killing percentage. You mentioned the LA Kings. Dallas is the fifth best team. Hey, St. Louis could be a first round matchup. Sure. They're an exceptional penalty kill team uh, as well as the Vegas Golden Knights top 10 on the penalty kill side on the penalty kill side as well. Okay. So our buddy Farhan Lalji of TSN tweets out everything about talking and penalties and head snapping. Mark Spector of Sportsnet in Edmonton feels the need to chime. Recalling a Canucks team with Burroughs and Lapierre that drew so many of those head snap penalties, the Canucks should still be well in the black <laughs> what goes around. Uh, the first thing I would say is that Spectre may have longer institutional memory on the Vancouver Canucks and head snap penalties because Maxim Lapierre has not played a game for the Vancouver Canucks in 11 <laughs> years. Ryan Kessler, who is also guilty of those penalties, has not played a game for the Vancouver Canucks in 10 years. Alex Burroughs has not played a game for the Vancouver Canucks in seven years. Yeah, at some point, bygones have to be bygones. And as Farhan pointed out, outside of the owner, it's been a complete overhaul. Like, there's mm -hmm. nobody that was associated with that 2011 team that's still here. I mean, there are a few employees, I suppose. There's some but, employees, but, but you're quite right. Uh, the hockey operations department has turned over all, almost full scale. I mean, Patty and Red are still there yes. on the equipment side, if you must know. But no, you're quite right. Before we move on, since you're no on Chris Tanev, the Canucks should not have outbid Dallas, and I'm yes, Grady Sass, <laughs> break the tie here. We love your role as uh, Mr. Speaker breaking ties, as they do in Parliament. So you tell me, should the Canucks have outbid Dallas for Chris Tanev? Oof, I love Tanev. I love what he brings. I love the chemistry with Hughes. For that price... I, I want to say yes, but I think Alvin is cooking something bigger. So, And that's the other thing that I, I saw I'll a go lot no. of. no. Okay. But it's a tough no. Okay. That's the other thing I saw a lot of is, do we just think it's a different defenseman than Chris Tanev? Quite possibly. Yeah. Now, he's not the heaviest. We know Tockett likes his big defenseman. Tanev isn't the heaviest guy. In fact, he's, we used to call him Gumby, right? Um, could you see this management group and this head coach targeting a different defenseman, whether it's different profile, whether it's different physical stature, whether it's different puck moving ability, or even a left side guy, Jeff. Fairly heavy on the left side. Um, so I still think the right is the target. And again, that's with all due respect to Noah Juleson, who started the season as a true depth guy and has played his way up. But if you're a team that sees itself as a full, truly, con you know, true contender, then Juleson probably should be slotted as six, seven, eight. Uh, I think they've got guys with size, and size has a role at playoff time. But I think ideally they'd love a puck mover. But guess what? So would everybody, and those players come at a price. So 
What are they willing to pay if they weren't willing to step up and make that deal with Calgary for Chris Tanev? Uh, you know, was it the price or yeah. I mean, is there somebody behind door number two there that, that they've got the right? Well, Sean Walker is more right. a puck mover and a right side guy. Although all the talk about him is around first round picks. So I would suspect that Walker's going to go for a similar, if not higher price than Chris Tanoff winds up going for Nick Sealer's a left side guy, but he's a bigger guy. He's the tougher guy. He's not a puck mover, or at least not as much. You know, I suspect he'll go at a much more affordable cost. I mean, that's if we're talking about some rentals who are on the market and rentals that have been talked about moving. Where are you on Dumba? Because I, I don't think he's going to fetch a first. I think there was a report out there Arizona's asking for a first, but I mean, the guy's got nine points or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and he's a right side guy with a lot of years. I, I've had a ton of time for Matt Dumba. I think his play has tailed off considerably to the point that you just out of sight out of mind in Arizona essentially but might be able to to fit the bill there um Philadelphia is fascinating to me just because there's a lot of things that they could do there's a lot of ways it could go mm-hmm. for the Philadelphia Flyers but Walker's a guy certainly that I mean I think in a perfect world that that is the kind of player that the Vancouver Canucks yeah would acquire yeah 511 190 so not the uh, the biggest no, but they've guy, got but enough yeah around yeah, no him. i think you're right i think you're right labushkin in anaheim he's again uh you know more of a defensive guy a right shot guy he's not going to move the puck or score in the least but um might be a little bit more available can't see victorious tyson berry just don't think that's the right profile of defenseman joel edmondson in washington albeit he's a left side guy so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of defensemen out there, the, and I think most of them at a more affordable price than Chris Tanev. So if we get closer to the uh, deadline, Alexander Carrier is another interesting yeah, that name. That, in fact, that's one that I might be a little more bullish on than some of the others that we've talked about here. So it may well be there's another defenseman out there for Alvin and Rutherford at a more affordable price. And if that's the case between now and Friday, we may look back on the Tanev deal and say, wow, Glad the Canucks didn't pay. Well, and I think we have to work off their history, Matt, too. And they've acquired so many guys that they are familiar with from other stops, primarily in Pittsburgh. But, you know, the name Justin Schultz was out there not that long ago. I think the Seattle Kraken have, they're going to come to the realization that it's not happening for them this year. There's a guy that this group had in Pittsburgh, right shot guy, uh, ties to British Columbia. Um, I, I wonder if that name had kind of been kicked around a couple of weeks ago and has gone quiet a little bit, but I wonder if uh, in the back channels, that's a name that might be of some interest to the Vancouver. Yeah. Team. Chad Ruedel as well. A depth yeah. guy in Pittsburgh, yeah. who's a UFA and expected to move. Grady, oh, you wanted in corner well, of the market on San Diego guys. Then with the uh, Ruedel and, and Thatcher Demko. Yeah, all two of them. <laughs> the names thrown out there a bit on some of the uh, trade deadline targets, Ilya Labushkin. Now, I know he doesn't have a yeah. lot of game left, but Talkit did have him in Arizona. That's right. We just mentioned him. And did we? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. A million things going no, on. No, I, I understand. <laughs> no, because and he moved last year at the deadline as well, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. It was to the Leafs. Um, now, he's a 275 cap hit. They may well retain there. Um, interestingly, Pat Verbeek was spotted in Madison Square Garden last night or scouting the Ranger game, despite the fact his team is on the road. Um, to me, the question with Anaheim is, 
or is it just going to be uh, selling off Henrik and a couple of rentals here, or are they actually going to get to the business of a bigger trade involving Zegris or, uh, or, or one of their other key guys? Two years ago for Labushkin, by the way, at the Delaware. To the Leafs? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Plenty of, uh, plenty of trade talk coming up here on Securus and Price and Rinkwide Vancouver. I imagine that you'll get into some of the uh, offshoots because, as you said yesterday, uh, Jeff, the game changes everything. Mm-hmm. Guy goes limping down the tunnel Ooh, tonight. This time right? of year, yeah. That is something absolutely that you're going to have to look at and go, okay, do we have to make a move sooner rather than later to patch to patch the dam? Let's get into today's menu. It is brought to you by Ben Moss Jewelers. Ben, La- ben Moss Jewelers, proudly Canadian-owned and operated history dating back more than 100 years. Five locations here in British Columbia, including Willowbrook and Langley and Coquitlam Centre, committed to customer satisfaction. You can check out the large, sele- large selection of Canadian mine diamonds, lab-grown diamonds, mine diamonds available with payment plans that suit your need. For more information, check out Ben Moss dot com ben moss because love is timeless we will get to frank saravelli here frank normally a friday guest for us but given he had the big scoop on wednesday about Pedersen back at the bargaining table and talking eight-year deal with the vancouver canucks we decided to move frank to today talk about everything Pedersen related why now does he get to a hundred million dollars what brought him back to the table as well as whether any deadline moves could come because of this development. Good discussion with Frank. Also get into the price paid for Chris Tanev, the prices that could be paid here going forward for some of the other rentals, as well as our old friend Tyler Toffoli. There's extension talks there in New Jersey, but the devil's kind of one foot in, one foot out, JPAT of buying selling mode with being on the cusp of the playoffs, but not currently on a playoff spot. And, Frank connects Tyler Toffoli to another one of his mm-hmm. old teams. If in fact, Toffoli's going to be on the move here. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including 2026 world cup in Vancouver. Guess what? It's going to be more expensive than no, originally really? planned. Canadian soccer association. Also with a big hire today, we'll get into the white caps later in the show, Saturday home and season opener at BC place against Charlotte. couple of new guys. We anticipate making their caps debut also 27,000 plus already expected for this game. So it's going to be an event at BC place. Look forward to that. And Rob Williams of the daily hives going to join um, great conversation with Rob. Uh, he talked about all the fantastic indications from this Patterson news, as well as, you know, the Patterson noise that preceded it, where the market was on Elias Patterson. We get into Elias Lindholm, as well, and the Chris Tanef trade. But let's get to our sports action best bets. Jay Pat, where are you going today? Well, I like this sports action or sports interaction has specials. Just straight up, will a particular team make the playoffs? Mm-hmm. Matt, they're asking if the Nashville Predators are going to make the playoffs. They've got a five point cushion. What's the value? What's the value? We hopping on that? You can get them at one eighty. So there's not. It's not a huge payout, but mm-hmm. I think the National Predators are making the playoffs, so I'm hammering the yes button there. All right. Formula One starts this weekend at the Bahrain Grand Prix. Max Verstappen, your overwhelming favorite there. But early in an F1 season, 
you often have engineers who are getting more familiar with new cars. You got drivers who are getting more familiar with new cars, acclimated. So there's little value in Verstappen. Why not take a punt on a couple of the guys who should be near the front of the race? Sir Lewis Hamilton's going off at five to one on this race. And Sergio Perez in that Red Bull, who should have an equivalent car to Max, going off at 13 to one. Bet them both. And if something happens happens with Verstappen, you not only cover your loss bet, you get the winnings of the other one. That's on the sports interaction. Best bets for today, Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book and casino featuring custom props, parlays you won't find anywhere else, plus a best-in-class casino with thousands of games and live dealers. If you scan the code there on YouTube, you get a 200% welcome bonus from Securison Price. Sports Interaction, bet local, must be 19 years of age. Please play responsibly. Frank Cervelli is coming up next. Joined now by NHL insider from Daily Faceoff, the Frankly Speaking podcast. He did the big story yesterday that Elias Pettersson is back at the table negotiating with the Vancouver Canucks. Hello, Frank Saravelli. How you doing, guys? Well, what a week it's been in Vancouver. It's always, always things happening here in Vancouver. We're a noisy market, and there was a lot of noise earlier this week, Frank. Tell us, how exactly did all this come to pass? I'm told that uh, Elias Pettersson, having heard the the noise himself, it's inescapable, really. Um, just came back to the Canucks and said, "Uncle, enough. I'm tired of it. Uh, let's get this done." And that's what they've been working hard at over the last 48 to 72 hours, uh, as reported. Uh, I believe uh, they're working on an eight-year extension, which would be massive, and just a massive development in general for the Canucks in on so many levels. If they could get this over the finish line and get this piece of business done and off their plate, it really feels like it changes everything in terms of where they're heading next and what this summer looks like. When you say noise, what do you mean? What, what do you think brought him back? The teams were calling on him that the market was getting grumbly with them fans. Uh, I think it's, Probably a combination of all those things. Okay. I think hearing that report probably jolted him a bit. Um, look, this is a contending team in the throes of a Stanley Cup chase. To hear that you, you know, teams are calling to ask about your availability because you decided you weren't going to negotiate during the season, I'm sure that was probably a bit jarring. And the other part of it is just the reaction to that since then. I don't need to tell you guys. It's a, it's a, you know, this is a market that tends to light itself on fire and I understand all of it. There's no criticism in that. Uh, it's combustible. And I think in this sense, it feels like, again, not done, but it feels like cooler heads have prevailed and they're going to land exactly or at least in a place where everyone can be happy. Some of the chatter earlier in the year, Frank, was about a shorter-term deal, that he might go the Austin Matthews route. You're reporting eight years. What do you think it is about eight years uh, that is attractive to him? Uh, I would say 
anytime someone can hand you a piece of paper that guarantees that you receive upwards of $100 million probably tends to go a long way. I mean, that's a lot of dough. And for someone who may not like the spotlight and the limelight of that, not having to go through this again in four or five years, even if it results in incremental more coin, maybe that's not what drives him. Maybe that's not his end all be all. I mean, let's remind you that Pedersen is a really kind of introverted person and doesn't love all this and doesn't love all the hoopla. So this, that's a pretty good way to avoid that conversation again for a while. How significant do you think the $100 million mark is in all of this? Because 12 times eight would get you to 96. But obviously there is some wriggle room and we don't know what that final number is, but do you think getting up over a hundred is significant to Pedersen and his camp? I personally don't think so. I think if you're looking for fancy round numbers and how awesome of a flex it might be to say it's a nine figure deal, I mean, pretty cool. But at the same time, the other part of this is you're dealing in a salary cap environment where quite literally every penny counts you inch closer to a hundred million. And that's one less roster player that the Canucks can afford quite literally at today's minimum salary range. Um, so it, it does matter. Um, I don't think it matters as much to the Canucks in the short term or the long term. I think they're just, they would be thrilled to get this done and over with. And I've never gotten the sense that Pedersen and or his camp is trying to set a new record they're not trying to topple anyone, and I don't think it's going to make it to Matthews level AAV, but never say never. Um, this is a player that's going to be extraordinarily taken care of. You reported what you reported. Like, do you think this is imminent, or is there a world in which they agree to a framework, but Elias Pettersson holds true to this notion that he wasn't going to actually sign until the offseason. I don't know quite how to answer that. I do think that this is something, at least I was told, that it would be something that's completed in the next number of days. I don't know the exact timeline on that. The Canucks have gone quiet, as you might expect. Um, they're in the cone of silence right now. Um Semant would it be semantics if you've agreed to terms but haven't signed? I don't know why you would withhold the signature. All you're really doing is risking something catastrophic happening if you've already agreed. What's the difference? But um, yeah, I, I would say um, part of it is this is what the Canucks have been pushing for for a long time. And I think they had grown frustrated with it wasn't necessarily um, – we never had any sort of indication from him that he wasn't interested or willing to sign. It was just the fact that for the while here, really since October, November, the Canucks have been more or less been given the stiff arm of, you know, it's really hard to wrangle people to the table that don't make it their top priority to do so. And that's the part I think to them that was, was frustrating saying we're opening up our, our wallet here. Take what you want, but you've got to be willing to come to the table and actually do it. And we really need you to do it and get it done because we've got a whole host of other things that we'd like to do in the meantime. 
Uh, just quickly on timing is interesting to me because they play tonight against the Los Angeles Kings at home. They travel on Saturday to Anaheim, and then they're on the road all of next week. This is the biggest contract in Vancouver Canuck history. Like, I would expect that this isn't just a press release or something that's announced on Twitter, that they would want to make a pretty big deal. I would assume the owner, uh, management, everybody would be on hand. And so uh, they travel on Saturday, and then they're gone for a week, come back uh, ahead of the trade deadline. But it it feels like there is a window here on Friday uh, where – you know, the decks are cleared and do you think it could be done as early as tomorrow? Yeah, I do. I think your guess is as good as mine. I think in terms of actually hammering this out and getting it done, it's not really incredibly complicated. I mean, there could be signing bonus stuff to work out and or some clause language, but like for the most part, the Canucks have been, I assume, ready to roll on this for a long time coming and actually sitting down and getting all the T's crossed and the I's dotted shouldn't be all that difficult if they are in agreement. Do you suspect that his recent play might have caused him to come back to the table? Uh, Frank, a talk had said yesterday that, you know, he's only human. There's a lot of noise out there. It could have affected his play. And, you know, conversely, do you think that he may view it as get this done and maybe performance can even improve with the weight off his shoulders. Well, I'd assume that that would be part of the assumption is that the play would improve with that weight off of his shoulders. But I don't think that there was any part of him that had, you know, wavered in confidence, if that makes any sense in terms of the player that he is, the caliber, the expectations and, and the goals. No, um, look, whether it was in van or whether it was on Mars, Elias Pettersson is going to be a really, really wealthy individual um, however that worked itself out, but I can't stress enough from my end without having insight on Pedersen and why he decided to really, you know, jump out now and do it. The motivation from the Canucks angle is so clear because if you get through this regular season and you don't have him signed, really what happens is the clock starts ticking until the day that you must file for arbitration. And if Pedersen elected or had gotten to the point where he was electing arbitration, that basically would spell the end of his tenure in Vancouver. Because if he wins a one-year award, what you're looking at is the Canucks being forced to trade him because they can't possibly go into next season having him play out a one-year deal that walks him to free agency. And so time was of the essence um, the Canucks have known that and have been staring at the calendar, I'm sure. And this has been, again, um, a massive development. Mm-hmm. Now that he's, well, I shouldn't say signed, but now that a deal is looking likely, likely, does this unlock something for the Vancouver Canucks that they were hoping to do by trade deadline? Are there any moves trade deadline wise that can be directly linked to this development? I would say unlikely. I I would think that what it does do, if you wanted to try and really push the envelope here and acquire someone that has term, you at least have a better idea of what your books look like moving forward, a real concrete view. Um, I'm I'm not really convinced that they're going to make a huge, humongous splash I think they've done that already with Lindholm 
And my guess would be, I'd, I'd be surprised if they got through next Friday and didn't find a way to add based on how aggressive they've been to this point. But it certainly feels to me like something more bottom of the lineup and on the margins, whether it's additional bottom six help or depth insurance defensemen. Do we know if they were in on Tanev right to the, the final hours? And ultimately, what does that say about the cost to acquire Chris Tanev? Now, Jersey got involved, obviously, with a little added retention. So that was a bit of a wrinkle there. But we had heard for the longest time, Frank, that you know the Flames wanted a first-rounder. Uh, was there just no team that was willing to offer up a first-round pick for Chris Tanev? Correct, yeah. it's um, The market was pretty clearly dictated on Tanev. You know, when you look at both past trades and the defenseman in the last calendar year that went for a first, Tanev clearly wasn't in that category. And he's a 34-year-old guy who plays a simple game, eats a lot of pucks. You know him. You've seen it up close and personal. But where his game is at right now with a limited skill set, he's still more like a number four. Not that that's anything to sneeze at, but no one was willing to trade a first-round pick to get him. And um, the Flames were forced to consider their best option or what they felt like was their best option among the second round pick teams. And they really liked Artem Grushnikov, who they got back as part of the prospect of this deal that they feel like he's a mean, nasty defenseman that could certainly be filling out their top six um, in the not so distant future that they're pretty excited about. Yeah, I was going to say they must love the prospect here. Yep. Right, Frank, because I think there was a lot of people on the outside going, that's kind of underwhelming uh, based on what we had heard on TV. If you thought it was underwhelming, I would say your uh, expectations should have been readjusted. I mean, I'd been saying for a month now, it's second round pick all day long. Mm -hmm. And the prospect that they got, um, it's always beauty in the eye of the beholder. Yep. Uh, Does Jersey getting involved as a broker signal that they're going to sell. And we have noted there is now a significant gap there between the Eastern and Western wildcards and the pursuers. Um, Do you see a lot of those teams tapping out and being sellers by next Friday? Not yet. And I'll tell you why in a second, but the indication for Jersey and getting in the mix here to retain has nothing to do with their playoff standing and, or their deadline posture. This was, really a smart piece of business by New Jersey in the sense that they've got a ton of LTIR space, almost 10 million bucks. That's use or lose. Like they're, you can't take it with you. Once the season ends, you might as well utilize all of that, uh, cap space, um, to really try and, um, get as much back as you can. So they basically buy a fourth round pick, which, not for nothing they can use in another trade over the next week as additional collateral if they want. Um, and in the meantime, New Jersey's trying to get in this race. So is Washington. Um, and here's why what they're looking at is not just the games in hand, uh, specifically for Washington, they're six back with two games in hand on the flyers. That's the team they're chasing. And so Sean Walker is rocketing up my trade board. He actually takes over the second spot from Chris Tanev. That's out on dailyfaceoff.com. And the reason for that is the Flyers have not really made a lot of headway or progress in negotiations with Walker. But if you really look big picture in the East and you see the Flyers as kind of really that eighth seed, Ristolainen's out, Jamie Drysdale's out, 
Sean Walker could be traded. Nick Sealer could be traded. You might have just cut off the legs of Philly's playoff chances. That opens up the door for Washington, Pitt, or New Jersey. So um, I would say there's still a lot to sort out standings-wise over the next few days. There's some really critical games coming up for the Caps, who play both the Flyers and the Penguins in the next five days. Uh, our old friend Tyler Toffoli, uh, look, Gensel's the big prize, but Toffoli has worked once here as a top six scoring winger right at the deadline. Understand there are still talks going on there between New Jersey and Tyler Toffoli, but what's your sense of how available he's going to be by next yeah, uh, To be determined over these next couple of days for New Jersey, if they really fall out, they could you could see Tom Fitzgerald flip and be someone that sells because there has been strong interest. Um, I would say if that does go down, keep an eye on the situation LTIR wise with Adrian Kempe in LA, because it would be a near wash cap wise between Kempe and Toffoli and having had him there to win a Stanley cup, they recognize yeah. how easy and seamless a fit that would be, but they, the King certainly wouldn't be alone. Yeah. Well, and does his wife still work for the Dodgers to Foley? Uh, I, I don't know. At one point she was working for the LA Dodgers when they were down there. Uh, together i would say um, that would be pretty difficult living in new jersey but well <laughs> yeah i mean i, I don't know what to... there's work from home environments yeah, now frank hey, work you don't have to tell me i'm exactly you're in philadelphia and you <laughs> for all of canada across canada from philly frank saravelli uh lastly you reported the canucks keeping close tabs on brandon duhame first of all we have a listener asking what is keeping close tabs mean and um how big how big do you think the market is for duhame why do the canucks like him well i can't tell you exactly what that means by keeping close tabs because then i would give away how i learned about it however um i would say that the canucks have been monitoring him very closely uh they've been monitoring the situation with the wild in the standings um they're in a spot where, by the way, Patrick Alvina and Billy Guerin are, are thick as thieves from their day in, days in Pittsburgh working together. Um, and more, more than that, there's been a number of teams that have been in the mix trying to find out more about Duhame's availability. So I believe, I think he's going to be number 11 on my trade targets board. I think even with Minnesota not waving the white flag, that they're going to have enough interest that they're going to move Duhame regardless of their, their posture in the standings. So the Canucks are one of those teams that would like to be in the mix. And as I've said before, I think he's the ideal fourth liner. That guy absolutely flies. He has an edge to his game and he's a great four checker and chips in the odd goal, but He's a little scant in the assist department. Yeah, no, he, we we noticed his offensive. Just post. how close are those tabs? Yeah. I guess is, so is the question. I'm going to take another run at this. If keeping <laughs> close tabs means monitoring, does that mean the Vancouver Canucks are calling the Minnesota Wild saying, what would it take to get Duhame today? Do you have other teams interested? Are you committed to trading him by the trade deadline? Is that what monitoring means frank help us out here yeah it means asking the minnesota wild to keep them apprised of what right availability and status is so before you trade duhane give us a last crack because we might do better i think it's been a little more than that but i would say a lot of those questions you asked the answer would be yes okay 
Is there any other player um, you've heard connected to the Canucks here, deadline-wise? Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head. I've been in PD World the last few days. <laughs> okay. That's good enough. We we like you in PD World. And we live in PD World. Yeah, we live On in PD World, basis. too. And yes. now we're just looking forward to the Frank Cervelli tweet. Done deal. Pedersen in the Vancouver Canucks. It would be nice to get it. Can't promise it, but um, we'll see what we can do. Perhaps as soon as tomorrow. We shall see. Thank you for Thanks, this. Frank. We will catch up next week. See you guys. Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Right now at Applewood GM Port Hardy, the 2024 Sierra 1500. You can finance from 0.99% on select trims. As they say, it's all good at Applewood. Poll question today asking you, should the Canucks have outbid Dallas for Chris Tanef? Yes or no? You can vote at Harrison Price on Twitter and YouTube. And speaking of Twitter. Hashtags, Jeff, the best and worst of Twitter.com. I'm going to lead us off with a story in the province, at the province. BC Taxpayer Group calls foul over potential FIFA World Cup cost overruns. Tell mm. me there was a phrase you were expecting. <laughs> FIFA World Cup. Um, BC Sports Minister isn't releasing the updated cost just yet, but has warned that the costs have, quote, changed substantially. This is based on the fact that Vancouver is getting two more games than originally planned, seven up from five. Initially, uh, it was projected, well, initially it was projected much less than the most recent 240, 240 million to 260 million. So it's already had a cost bump already. The reason this came to light is that the city of Toronto acknowledged that there will be an $80 million cost increase based on the fact that that city is getting one more game than it originally was supposed to. Lana Pop and the BC Sportsminer said the province unable to make the cost estimates because the FIFA schedule just came out earlier this month, but has committed to transparency on that number, Jeff, and I suspect if it's an $80 million increase for one game in Toronto, you're looking at maybe a $150, $160 million increase. We'll see if there's any variables on that pricing between our community. And the city of Vancouver and the province of BC are both involved in the financing of this. Uh, I've got one from at the PWHL official. This is the Twitter account of the Professional Women's Hockey League. They've put out their playoff format and their draft order of selection. Mm-hmm. And finally, oh, you've Matt, been waiting for this, I Jeff. Have. We have seen this in some other sort of fringy leagues elsewhere, but this is pretty substantial. In their first year of operation, they're going to let their first place team pick its first round playoff opponent. Mm-hmm. Like, you want bulletin board material? Oh, that's we it. We want you. So. Four teams make the playoffs, and the first-place team has home ice. We'll get to pick between the third and fourth. But look, like— Is it single on, game, or is it— No, serious? no, best of five. Okay. But based on matchups, like maybe they've had the number of the third-place team as opposed right. to the fourth-place team. The other announcement yesterday was 
the gold plan and lots of people have been banging the drum for this uh, in the NHL and other leagues when teams are officially mathematically eliminated they start to accrue points based on the remaining games and the most points get the first overall pick now this one's not as dramatic as it sounds because mm-hmm. only two teams right. miss the playoffs in this league for now yep if they commit to this plan going forward it makes it a little more interesting you were telling me you don't think the what's it called the gold, gold plan you yeah. don't think it would work in the National Hockey League? Because we've heard a lot about this through tanking and oh, sure. changes no, last, to the lottery system. People are saying, look at what the Canucks did last year. After Taki came in, they would have won the Bedard sweepstakes if this had been the case. It's not the case. I just think it's a lot to ask. If guys are unrestricted free agents and they know they're going to market and you're asking them to bust their butts for one team that they know they're not going to be a part of or part of the future with that first overall pick... I think for a lot of guys, staying completely healthy down the stretch is the priority and the most important yeah. thing. And so I but get it. Make, like in theory, I understand it, but I just I'm not sure that it would apply. What I would say though, Jeff, is that that encourages teams to trade all their rentals. And it also I mean, some teams don't know at the trade deadline. You would still have UFAs on, on non-playoff teams, but it would encourage the trading of rentals. It would also encourage to some degree, the using of prospects, if you think they can help your club, right? If you think you've got a UFA who's really just playing for next year's contract, then, you know, maybe you call up a prospect. And you- but to take it to the nth degree, in a year when Conor Bedard is the lottery prize, teams would be dressing lineups full of prospects from day one. They'd want to be eliminated as early as possible. And I think yeah. that sort of brings the integrity or, of the whole operation yeah. into question. At Canada Soccer EN, we are thrilled to announce Kevin Blue as the new General Secretary and CEO of Canada Soccer. Will he get through day one on the job? Uh, Well, that is, yeah. He's already (laughs) tweeted a video from an Ottawa hotel room. So, so, yeah, so he's he's there in the nation's capital on site with Canada Soccer. Uh, He was Golf Canada's chief sporting officer. Did you ever have any uh, interaction with him? Yeah, in fact, I think one day when you were away, Blake and I had him on the show when they were the Canadian amateur was out here in Vancouver a couple of years ago. The Point Grey, right? Decorated, yeah, decorated player, uh, impeccable track record. Stanford guy, I think. Stanford guy did his undergrad at Stanford. Did a uh, did a master's at Michigan State. He was the youngest athletic director in all of Division I NCAA athletics at the University of California, Davis, and he had previously worked in Stanford's athletic department uh, in fundraising as well. Uh, Mid-40s has been on a lot of these, you know, up-and-coming sports executives in Canada lists. Powerless. Yeah, powerless. And uh, you mentioned Allison Walker resigned in January before her first day. They've seen Earl Cochran and Nick Bontis step down from positions there. Now we know... Charmaine Crooks is over there now and in charge. So uh, wish him the best, as he said on his uh, social media video. There's a lot of work to do, uh, including yeah. getting a coach, a full-time coach well, in that, place. I was going to say, how the about, men's national how about some team? games back on conventional television? Yeah, there's that, that, too. Uh, Canada plays here in a few weeks on the men's side. Of course, the ladies are involved in the Gold Cup right now. And 2026 World Cup coming here. So plenty of work to do for Kevin Blue as he steps into his new role will wish him the best of luck. I'm going to stick with soccer at Whitecaps FC. Love this. Calling all Whitecaps FC fans, TELUS will host a jersey swap on March 2nd. First 500 fans in attendance are invited to exchange any pro sports jersey 
Oh, great. For the Whitecaps Bloodlines jersey. Fantastic. This is at the game yeah. on Saturday? 4.30 start yeah, against gate, Charlotte? Gate B at BC Place. Okay. There you go. It's a beautiful new jersey. I love it. With the gold numbering for the 50th anniversary of the club. And then lastly, uh, another sad note here. How about this? At B Nightingale, Bob Nightingale <whistles> on the baseball beat. Prayers to the Wakefield family. Stacy Wakefield, the wife of Red Sox knuckleballer Tim Wakefield, passed away Tuesday from cancer. Stacy had been battling cancer at the same time as Tim. Tim died in October at 57 after suffering a seizure following surgery for brain cancer. I couldn't find an age for Stacy, but she looked very much in the uh, neighborhood of her late husband. Their poor children. Trevor, age 20, Brianna, age 19, have watched both parents pass away from wow. cancer Do, uh, since October. I also learned that the Wakefield family were the co-owners of a Boston-area restaurant with former Bruins tough guy Sean Thornton. Oh. They were all together in a uh, restaurant that they owned in the Boston area. Anyways, our condolences to the Wakefield family, and especially those two children, far too young to lose both your parents. And that's hashtags for today. Rob Williams is the national sports editor of the Daily Hive and its Offside Sports Vertical. Also, Rob the Hockey Guy on Twitter. He joins us now. Rob, how are you? Doing great. Still uh, buzzing about this Pedersen news. I think it's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's got everyone talking, and 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 I don't know that anyone saw this coming last last you know when the news broke uh, late yesterday afternoon. Take a bow, Rob. All the noise brought Petey back to the bargaining table. This couldn't have happened without us blowing it up on uh, social mm-hmm. media and Daily Hive. Uh, absolutely. I think this is, a, this is a win for the Canucks media, isn't it? Canucks Twitter remains <laughs> undefeated on this one. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I laughed at the guys that were trying to dunk on me and others yesterday about like, you guys got this all wrong. And then these are the same guys that earlier in the week were like, he already said he's not going to sign until after the season. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I got to admit, I'll, I'll, I'll take the L on terms of when Elliot came out with that report on Saturday, I did not think this would be constructive. I thought you were really baiting a guy who had made it clear he didn't want to negotiate during the season, but it seems like the Canucks leaking that teams were making calls on him has gotten him to a place where he feels like, okay, enough of this. I also wonder whether Rick Tockett's comments with regards to he's only human, there's a lot of noise, it may well explain some of the underwhelming performances recently, also um, contributed to all of this. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, first of all, with the fan reaction, it's it's funny. Like, I... It it was... I mean, it was. it's just been a wild week because I, I feel like this... Pedersen situation, I feel like everybody's been biting their tongue for weeks and weeks and weeks. And there's no new information. So I don't think it really gave anyone to, you know, anything to really, really chew on. And then we get just a, you know, just a little, just a few slivers of information, uh, you know, beginning with uh, Elliot Freeman over the weekend. And I think it just set everything off. I think everybody was ready to, to just finally be like yeah like why doesn't he want to talk and i think that that 
was the situation. And, and I've maintained throughout this. I'm like, I'm not saying he doesn't want to be in Vancouver, but if he didn't want to be in Vancouver, the, the playbook would be, I don't want to talk contract. I don't want to say any, anything because you don't want to, you don't want to reject a contract offer, right? Like what if they offer like a hundred million dollars and you reject it? Um, then that's kind of an indication that you want it out. So that's, I, I think it was perfectly logical that people were asking questions like, why doesn't he want to talk? Now that he, all of a sudden he, he, he's now willing to talk, I do wonder if that was the, you know, and Matt, I, I agreed with your take on that. I thought, geez, this is not, you know, he doesn't like noise. And I think that ex- helps explain why Canucks fans were so, you know, some of them anyways, got so upset with the Canucks media talking about this because I think there's an understanding with a lot of people that Pedersen doesn't like noise. He doesn't like making headlines, as he said many times before. But I do wonder if, if, the, if Canucks management maybe appealed to, to him in the sense that, hey, we need to know what this number is going to be so we can plan for the future so that we can help put a winning team on the ice. I think that that perhaps appealed to to Pedersen in this situation, but I definitely didn't see it coming. I do think that there is an element of that, Rob, that, like, yes, he's a hockey player, and yes, we know he doesn't like noise, and he's focused on a playoff run and all that kind of stuff, but like he's been at this for five-plus years now. He understands his role in all of this, and as you said, at the top of the pay structure, I do wonder if his agents finally got to him and said, like, you know, Elias, you can't hold up the business of hockey. Like, you may want to put this off, but there are so many big-picture decisions. Whatever the case, I don't know if we'll ever know ultimately what got the two sides back together, but uh, if you're one that wanted to see a resolution of this deal, this certainly has been a good 24 hours uh, for Canuck fans. And again, it's not done until it's done. We know that, but uh, certainly sounds like there's been some positive traction. I mean, the, the biggest the biggest move here is that we get an indication that Pedersen wants to stay. And until now, we got no indication on that. It was it was never like, I want to, it was always just, I, I want to wait till the end of the season to, to talk contract. It was never, I love Vancouver, I want to stay. That's my goal is to re-sign with the Canucks and we'll talk after the end of the season. It was never that, right? And I think that that was the the, the great unknown was, does he want out? And And getting an indication now, that you know to talk about an eight-year deal like that's a pretty clear indication that you know he's he's at least he's more than open to to staying in Vancouver it sounds like he does want to stay in Vancouver and that's you know great news for Canucks fans do you think this now unlocks them to do something at trade deadline I mean they've already made a big move on Elias Lindholm but do you think knowing that PD will be here now is going to uh, unlock something trade deadline wise I, perhaps, I guess. I, I I don't know. I mean, I guess. I guess if you're adding someone with term, I guess you want you'd like to know as much information as as you possibly can have. I mean, there's there's a few. You know, they they still have to resign Philip Ronick, and there's you know lots of other UFAs that they have coming up, so they're not going to have like complete uh, cost certainty. Uh, I do wonder how much more of the future they can they can give up at this deadline. I mean, they've they've made the big move for Lindholm. You know, I, I saw you know Tanev moves, and and I'm I, I think that was a, that was smart for them not to be you know in the bidding for for that, like to give up, you know, you know not a first round pick, you know the, he didn't he didn't fetch that uh, for the Flames, but you know three 
future pieces. I, the, you know, the Canucks don't have a lot, a lot of uh, draft picks uh, coming up here. I think they, they do need to, you know, be prudent in, in that sense. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see what they do. I mean, I, I think they probably, you know, make, make a couple moves around the fringes, maybe bring in a, a you know, a, a big forward, I think would make a lot of sense. I know Jordan Greenway is someone that's been mentioned in the past. Someone like that could make sense to me and, and perhaps a depth defenseman, but, you know, to, you know, to bring in a top four defenseman at this point in the season, like that's, that's going to cost a lot. So I, I, I don't know if they're if they should be in that market, but but you never know. I mean, Rutherford apparently, yeah. <laughs> you know, likes to make big moves at this time of the year. Well, just he, on, go ahead. He made his big move at the All Star break with Elias Lindholm. They're twelve games into this and hasn't exactly blown the doors off anybody. I don't think. Uh, what have you seen in Lindholm? Where do you think he is best slotted ultimately? Because it didn't work with the Elias Elias combo. Now that's not to say they can't revisit that at some point, but. Pretty underwhelming. I mean, there have been the two games where he scored twice, but other than that, it's been awfully quiet around Elias Lindholm. Yeah, I mean, and if you take if you take the snapshot after that first game where he has the two goals, it's been you know not amazing for Lindholm. Just the just the four points in eleven games since that that uh, you know a wonderful debut that looked like it was like okay, stroke of genius. He's going to slide right in here and, and fit perfectly. I think there's the awkwardness though of of the three centers. It's you know I think you've got Lindholm who was a you know a runner up to the Selkie a couple of seasons ago. You know ideally he's a, he's a centerman and you know being a, a you know a good a matchup center I think for you. But which one of Pedersen or Miller are you going to move to the wing? I don't think either one of those guys is going to be thrilled about moving away from the middle to play the wing. Uh, and we haven't seen, you know, in Lindholm, you know, the reports out of Calgary were that, you know, he wasn't having exactly the best season this year, you know, despite being an all-star. Um, you know, I, I don't know that he was really having a, a great year. And so that's the worry is that, okay, maybe he's just not having a good season. Maybe it wasn't being in Calgary was the issue. In terms of where he fits best, I don't know. It, it hasn't been a great fit. I think ideally you'd like to have him on a line with Pedersen to give Pedersen a reliable elite level player rather than you know trying to squeeze in guys that are middle six forwards onto his line so it remains to be seen I think I, I think ideally you try to get him to fit on a line with Pedersen and whoever plays center it might not always matter in terms of you just you know the first first one of them back in their own zone basically acts as a center in their, in their own zone um, but we'll see. I, th I think that there is something to be said about about having three three centers deep in the lineup. You, you know, and that gives you Bluger on the fourth line. In that situation, you're not scared to have any one of them out there. You know, if you're in a playoff series against a Connor McDavid or Leon Drysaddle, gives you a little more flexibility to that. But I think ultimately, you want to have you know two really potent lines that can go out there and score. And I think that's with with someone moving to the wing. Let's ask you our poll question. Should the Canucks have outbid Dallas for Chris Tanev's services? Now um, they give up a B, B minus level prospect in Grushnikov, a second round pick, a conditional third, which is only if Dallas reaches the Stanley Cup final. And it's it's unclear whether the Canucks would have wanted or needed brokerage with New Jersey, which would have cost an extra fourth round pick to further diminish 
the Chris Sal- uh, the Chris Tanoff salary. But you know, with or without the fourth round pick in the brokerage, Rob, um, you tell me. Should the uh, Canucks have paid this price or beaten this price to see if they could get Tanoff back? I don't think so. I and I think I think Tanev ultimately ends up in Vancouver anyways. I think he ends up here as a free agent. I just think that there's just they've just traded so many future assets. At some point, you kind of have to say, okay, we need to hold on to to some draft picks at, at this point. And to have that many assets go out the door for a player like Tanev, who would, you know, it, it would would have been great to see him back in a in a Canucks uniform, and I'm sure it would have uh, made a lot of people happy on in that Canucks room. I just don't think that you can be in the business of of seeing that many assets go out the door, uh, given what you've already given up. Um, just back on Elias for a second. I don't know what daily hive readers have been saying about this and offside readers have been saying about this, but certainly our feedback channels have seen more and more fan anger at Elias Patterson fans, not quite as, uh, joyful about Elias Pettersson as they have been in the past, grumbling about everything that this has caused, wondering about whether he wants to be here. Some fans just couldn't deal with it emotionally and had moved on. We had seen that. Mo, get rid of him. He's not worth 12 and a half <laughs> soft playoff player and all of those things. Do you um, think Elias's brand equity in this market may have played a role in all of this, that he noticed that fans were getting a little... Um, a little uh, tired of this and turning on him to some degree. Hard. I mean, really hard to say. I mean, it's what have, what have your readers been saying? Have you been seeing some of that? No, I mean, I've seen the same thing as well. I mean, you know, so much of of our feedback comes, you know, comes through social media. So I think we're seeing, uh, you know, similar feedback. I think it's a minority of people that were starting Mm -hmm. to turn on him. Uh, I think, and I think really that's like a, it's like an emotional hedge, right? Where you, you know, you start to think, well, maybe he doesn't want to be here. And then you go, oh, we don't need him anyways, right? Um, I don't know how, it, you know, it, truthfully in the in Cox fans' hearts, I think I think fans desperately want him to stay here. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I think with every day that went by, though, there was more and more of that, does he want out? Right. Like, and then I think that's where it starts to turn, but I don't think it fully turned to a point where no. he's feeling like, Oh, the, the market's turning on me. I don't think it. No, does. but, but no, there, but... there has been a significant development and that has been a shift to team Miller. That's it. We're starting to see. <laughs> that's it. And just about to say J Pat. How can you not with the way that he's played since the all-star game? <laughs> yeah, I mean, is is this why he started negotiations to quiet down the Miller, the Miller uh, loving? Hey, this is my town. They're gonna chant my name at the rink. JT didn't hear it, but Aaliyah certainly. Yeah, did. that's right. <laughs> we had a dis- discussion about that after you know the I was in the scrum where Miller said that he that he didn't hear it. I, I do. I, I I took him at his at his word. I I genuinely believe that he didn't hear the the chance, and I can understand. Like I think it becomes a bit of white noise unless you're maybe in a, you know, a stoppage in play, and you're sitting on the bench, and then you can give yourself a chance to act, actually ask what fans are 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 yelling out. But Miller really is becoming a fan favorite, and I think like you know he's been one of these guys that just produces points. You know, three straight seasons of over eighty points. 
you know, in, in terms of the, you know, the, the counting stats, and he's been a tremendous player for the Canucks, but there's always been all of these questions. When he arrived, it was the trade. Did they give up too much to get him? Then it was, should they move him to, to you know, help kickstart the rebuild? And then we see he was in trade rumors for years. And now it seems like finally, okay, like the team's good. He's playing exceptionally well. I mean, it, I, I'm amazed at how physical he's been playing. It's not just the points. Like he's hitting everything. He's he's finishing every single check. So um, you have to commend him on that. The other cool thing I, I've I've noticed a little bit with uh, with Canucks fans and Miller, you know, Alan Murdoch, the way he he says J T Miller. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that Canucks fans are now filling in the Miller part, saying it kind of like kind of mimicking Al mm-hmm. Murdoch. Um, that's been kind of a cool thing too, that I've noticed from Canucks fans that, uh, that they've, they've picked up. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, interesting to see how Miller, I feel like he's now finally becoming like, you know, more widely a, a fan favorite. I think you're absolutely right. We mentioned that earlier in the week and, uh, our friend Al Miller, uh, Al Murdoch was, um, uh, engaged on that tweet uh, from ours. He's noticing it too, and it's a great deal of fun. As are you, Rob Williams. Thank you for this. We will catch up next week, Rob. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Join us March 13th, 6 to 7 p.m. at Park Casino, the official casino resort of the Vancouver Canucks. We're going to be live on location doing a show inside the BC Kitchen, the restaurant, before Vancouver takes on Colorado. This is March 13th. Come grab grab a bite. Watch us do the show. There'll be prizes on site. Also receive 15% off the game day menu with your game ticket at BC Kitchen Park. Just steps away from Rogers Arena. You can sign up for Encore Rewards. Get $10 free play to use in the Canucks gaming corner. All right, Jeff. Vancouver Whitecaps FC. They get it going Saturday at BC Place. 430 against Charlotte in their season and home opener for MLS play. Uh, and expecting a big crowd there too. Yeah, they got that. the upper bowl yeah. open. Good boy. Looks like there's going to be a lot of spirit at the Caps match on well, Saturday. I, and you know those White Cap Charlotte matches, Matt. Well, <laughs> it's the first time Charlotte's ever here, actually. But what I will say is, we know it's an event town, yep. and the Caps have done a very good job um, in marketing this home opener and turning it into an event. Yeah, and they got I also st- think 4:30 is really helps. You know. They've got the stage themselves. Mm-hmm. Off day for the Canucks. Yep. Nothing else really happening in the sporting realm around town. So the floor is theirs. Yep. And uh, you say they have they the stage the themselves. We're also close to those days where you can watch two Vancouver teams back to back. Right. I yeah. love that part of the yearly uh, yearly calendar where you could watch like a Canucks game right into a Caps match or vice versa. And of course, the Lions will come and join the party. In June. So some lineup and roster notes for this match. Uh, Canadian international Sam Atakube is still weeks away. He's got a knee injury, so he's not going to be participating. Uh, questionable for new center back Bjorn Utvik, the Norwegian that they've brought aboard. He's also battling 
a knee. Uh, Matias Laborda suspended for this match. So some of the center back depth is going to be tested there with Laborda and Utvik out. Ali Ahmed's on the re- return trail. He's looking better and better. Sounds like he's going to be an option for them off the bench. Another Canadian there. And then a couple of new guys that we're going to see up top. Demir Krylock and Fafa Pico. Both of them are MLS veterans. And in fact, and we'll talk to Axel Schuster on Friday actually about this, Caps made a concerted effort that in terms of off-season additions, they wanted guys who had MLS experience, know how this league works, has a book on the opposing players, are accustomed to all the travel, because there's a hell of a lot of travel from Vancouver in this league as opposed to some of the European leagues. So it looks like they're going to play their first games as Caps at BC Place on Saturday against Charlotte. You had the note about the uh, new jerseys they'll be wearing mm-hmm. and that there is a jersey swap. $5 uh, menu available at BC Place, so you won't have to dig too, too deep in your pocket for refreshments. And, of course, they'll have the march to the match and the players' arrivals and everything, all the pageantry that accompanies a soccer I am a match. sucker for opening day in yeah. any sport. I went last year. I'm hoping to get there this year. We get I had the good Saturday. fortune a couple of years ago when I was out on the road traveling late in a Canucks season to be in St. Louis for opening day for the Cardinals. Oh, now, amazing. I didn't get to the game because the Canucks practiced. But <laughs> but you're it, not bitter. No, but it, it really it, – and it's St. Louis. Think about it. The Cardinals. Like, it felt like a civic holiday. Mm-hmm. Like, just everybody met. Like, Everybody was wearing red that day. It was incredible. It may be the best best baseball town the world over, St. Louis. It's the one U.S. city where the baseball team was able to punch with the NFL team when they had an NFL yep. team there. And you're quite right. Uh, opening day in those Midwest U.S. cities for baseball is a huge deal. They used to do a parade. They may still do in Cincinnati for opening day. Anyways, looking forward to the Caps on Saturday, as mentioned, Axel Schulster. Their sporting director, CEO, is going to join us on Friday's program. Okay. Poll question results from Thursday. Has JT Miller proved you wrong, yes or no? What did the people say, Jeff? 100% yes. No, they said yes, not 100. (laughs) 79%. Then there's some liars. Said yes. Well, (laughs) Cole, there wasn't a single person in Canucks fandom that liked the trade at the time. Anyone who says they loved it knew it would turn out as a liar. In my opinion, I'm just glad it's worked out. There were many in the comments dunking that, yes, uh, they, in fact, many of them know they proved he proved me right. Oh, okay. Uh, Jim says, nope, I like the trade getting him here. If we get three more good years at this level, we win huge. Yeah, that's the next consideration. A lot of the detractors were saying, okay, he's looking great now, but, of course, a long way to go in that contract through years where typically a player's level Falls off. Hodler says, as a fence sitter on the Bo versus JT debate, he's proved me wrong. Bo is an excellent player, but JT is actually near elite, if not there. And Chad says, a lot of us didn't like the trade. He proved us all wrong. Let's get to errors and omissions from Thursday's program. Uh, I've got two, Grady. I said five games for our Steve Baines. He's played four. And then Harmon Dial with a flip switched. And I've I've made that mistake myself. Switch. Yeah. Flipped. Anything from the inbox? Yes. Hassan on you, Matt, saying during hashtags Michael Sean 
Duger's mm. name was mispronounced. Oh. It's Duger, not Duggar. Okay. Good to know. That's it. That's it. That's all. Brilliant. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us, Rinkwide Vancouver and Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social. That's Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. We're live on YouTube every morning at 1130. And, of course, support those community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.